0: Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: Groups you made it. You made it back. You made it halfway through the week. It's Wednesday. This is the hump day, and you're going down the other side. So you're going to slide right into Thursday and then Friday. And we're going to have a beautiful weekend, at least in the Midwest. It is just going to be gorgeous. Chester, are you ready for some cooler weather? It's supposed to get up to 83 today in St. Louis. So this, But this is going to be the last day we're going to see the 80s until... I don't know until when, probably next May, late April, mid-April. Yeah. This is Bob Pro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. And on Wednesdays, we play a mystery or a detective story. And we have a good one today. We are going to listen to Howard Duff in The Adventures of Sam Spade. The name of this episode tonight is The Rushlight Diamond Caper. And it was first heard back on the 4th of July. 4th of July, I didn't notice that. This was from the 4th of July from 1948. So we are going to uh, dispense with all of the normal small talk. And we're going to get right into the episode. So here we go. Sam Spade from July 4th, 1948. The Rushlight Diamond Caper.
0: Wednesday
2: Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first.
3: Sam Spade, Detective Agency, good evening. That
4: sounds funny in dialect. Good evening to you, and happy 4th of July, Bernadine Hemp.
3: Oh, Mr. Spade, what was the caper?
4: Don't you mean caper?
3: No, the caper, the high point of the caper. The climax, the crescendo, the pinafore.
4: Well, that's better for a minute. I was afraid you were uh, learning English.
3: Oh, no, I'm studying Spanish. Soy infeliz canicia. Yeah, yeah, te... yeah, uh,
4: mucho interesting.
3: <laughs> Gracias. Shall I go home now?
4: No, uh, mal suerte. There's a little matter of murder in two languages, neither of which is Spanish, so stay where you are. I'll be right down to dictate my report on the Rushlight Diamond Caper.
2: Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam
0: Spade.
4: Uh, date, July 4, 1948, to Mrs. May Rushlight, 21A, Granite Court, from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the uh, Rushlight Diamond. Dear Mrs. Rushlight, It was the kind of nice, relaxing assignment that comes my way just often enough to remind me that gumshoeing can be respectable. There was an air of quiet elegance about 21A, Granite Court, and about the butler who answered the door. He uh, took in my rented gray topper and doe gloves, nodded approvingly at my wing collar, watered silk ascot, pearl gray waistcoat, morning coat, pinstripe trousers, and my spats with the mother of pearl buttons, and asked me if I were a florist. I set him to rights, and he led me up a flight of stairs to the early AM annex of your morning room. Mr.
5: Samuel Spade.
6: You're just on time, Mr. Spade. Mrs. Rushlight would be pleased. I'm Nancy Ward, Mrs. Rushlight's social secretary, and if you don't think that's tough to say, try it. Uh,
4: Mrs. Rushlight's socials? What's tough about that?
6: Uh, You'll do. Definitely you'll do. Shall we dance? I will dance at her wedding. But don't get me wrong, I'm not secretly in love with Ralph Rushlight, and the bride is lovely. Just hate to see all that money going down the drain.
4: Is there anything else you think I should know? You know what your job
6: is. You're supposed to guard the wedding present. That's simple, because it's nothing but a lot of cheap silver. And stay away from the champagne. It's non-vintage. The food will be foul. The guests are the most dismal aggregation ever assembled. Sounds like a lovely party. I arranged the whole thing. I told you she's a lovely bride.
4: What's she ever do to you?
6: I'd rather not say. I don't want to sound bitter. This way, Mr. Spade. The old hat... Mrs. Rushlight will see you now.
4: Thank you, Florence Nightingale.
7: Nancy? Oh. Well, this is it, darling. Mr. Spade. Come over here, young man, so I can get a better look at you. How's this? Mm, it's good. Turn around. Yes, you'll do. Uh, that'll be all, Nancy. Oh, couldn't I be finishing up these place cards while you talk? Take them with you. Do them outside. Very well. Nosy girl. But nice. Nice nose. Oh, you too, eh? Well, I agree. That's why I'm marrying off my nephew to that wretched girl Lotta Van Eyck. Have you ever seen Bug's Bunny, Mr. Spade?
4: You don't mean the They
7: protrude. The ears? No, the teeth. As my late husband used to say of her mother, she could eat a tomato through a tennis racket.
0: There's
7: only one thing that'll prevent this wedding from being an utter disaster. She doesn't understand much English.
4: Uh-huh. Uh What's the matter with your nephew?
7: A great deal, but it doesn't show. Suffice it to say, he has criminal tendencies and the mentality of a snail. Mrs. Rushlight, I don't like to seem forward, but why are you telling me all this? Oh, you're, you're supposed to mingle with the guests. You'll need some conversation. Now, as to your assignment, the bride, being what she is, the wedding presents are hardly worth guarding except <clears throat> for one. Ironically enough, it's from me.
4: What is it, a machine gun?
7: oh oh, 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 that's good oh oh, excuse me i must write that down and tear it up immediately (laughs) oh dear no no mr spade but it's bad luck the rushlight diamond you've heard of it
4: uh something about it in the american weekly a while back wasn't there?
7: yes yes it's not as large as the hope diamond but there's not a flaw in it my late husband roy rushlight bought it for his first wife she sank with the SS General Slocum in Hellgate, the East River, nineteen four, over a thousand lives lost. Luckily, she was wearing a paste copy at the time. I was only a young girl when I married Mr. Rushlight, and eh, fool that I was, I signed anything his lawyers asked me to sign. After his death, I discovered that the diamond was to be mine only until the marriage of my husband's male heir, at which time it must go to his bride.
4: Well, that's too bad. Uh, you say, though, that the rushlight diamond is bad luck.
7: Oh. Oh, there's that, of course. Uh, 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 I wonder if it's too much to hope. Hmm. Well, I must go and help dress the bride. Go along downstairs, Miss Spade. Take this jewel case with you. Put it on the table with the other presents. And guard it well. <laughs>
4: So I took the old velvet-covered case you held out to me and checked the contents. It was an old-fashioned lavalier with a clear stone pendant, only slightly smaller than an eight ball. Didn't look like a diamond, but smooth-cut diamonds hardly ever do. It didn't look like bad luck either, but a mirror broke in the hall as I passed it. Then I fell all the way down the stairs, and as I entered the ballroom, I knocked over a punch bowl. Nothing uh, really terrible happened until just before dark, when the guests began to arrive. In theory, a detective guarding wedding presents is supposed to make himself indistinguishable from the other guests. In practice, it never works out that way. He has to spend most of his time within sight of the booty, so he is very easily spotted.
8: I don't believe it. He's too good-looking. Oh, but he must be. He's not anybody we know. Well, ask him. It's leap year. Oh, here comes Colonel Bixby. He'll know.
5: Wow, wow, wow! Beauty gathered round the booty, eh? Huh? <laughs> Much more beauty than booty, though. Oh, <laughs>
7: <laughs> Say, when are they going to hang the diamond on that drip?
5: Oh, no, there's no way to talk about the blushing bride.
7: Is that it in the crummy old case there?
5: That case is heirloom, young lady. The stone that reposes in it is worth a king's ransom. Now, take your grubby hands elsewhere. Oh. Be often with you. Go on.
7: Well, just because he's going to give the bride
5: away, he thinks he can order everyone around. Uh, Mr. Spain, allow me to congratulate you, sir. These affairs, one all too often sees the detective on guard duty at the punch bowl. I was forewarned. Oh, it's yes, very bad champagne. Flat. <laughs> I'll be glad when these ill-starred nuptials are consummated. And by the way, Bixby's my name, Colonel Assander Bixby. Colonel? It is my melancholy and thankless duty to give the bride away to the hapless groom, Ralph Rushlight. However, it's much better to give than to receive. <laughs> you tell that to me, Rushlight, eh? Quite a trinket. Mustn't uh, 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 uh. touch grubby hands, remember? Oh, <laughs> sense of humor as well as sense of duty, eh? Candidly, if I knew a place to Colonel fence Bixby. it, I'd be the. F- Colonel Bixby! Oh, Miss Ward. Oh, how lovely you look. Poor Ralph.
6: Mrs. Rushlight asked me to warn you to get ready. The bride will be down any moment.
5: Oh, good grief. Well, I suppose I must steal myself. Where did I leave my glass? Keep your eye on that old goat, Mr. Spade. I don't trust him.
4: Who is he?
6: He's the only one here who knows why this wedding's happening. He's the bride's foster father.
4: You mean he's got something on the family?
6: You'll never know how much until you kiss the
4: bride. Look, Nancy, it's none of my business, but I...
6: Oh, what? Oh, starting. I'll have to go in now.
4: Now, oh, wait. What? Uh, how does it go? Uh, speak now or forever hold your peace?
6: No, I... I can't do that. Thank you for understanding.
4: I didn't witness the ceremony, but judging from the mood of those who had, it was just as well I didn't. They shuffled back into the ballroom, looking as if they'd witnessed an execution. Nobody seemed to be in a hurry to join the receiving line. After a few half-hearted handshakes, the groom left the bride standing alone, looking kind of bewildered, and came over to take inventory of the presents. Look at that junk. I'm Ralph Brushlight. Who are you? Spade. I was hired to guard this junk, as you call it. Sorry, I'm wasting my time. A rush like time. its bad luck. Look at what it did to me. Look at her. Did you ever see anything? Keep it to yourself. Why should I? Because I'm liable to slap you clear across this room. Haven't I been punished enough? Go on, go on, scram! Keep your hooks off that necklace. That's
5: mine. I heard it's your
8: wife's. Come along, well, you heard dear, wrong.
4: Come along over
5: here. Oh, Mr. Spade, you haven't met the bride yet, have you? Uh, no. Thank you. I uh,
4: uh, wish you a lot of luck, Mrs. Rushlight. You're going to need it.
7: Thank you. Well, I suppose now, as well as any time, Colonel. Mm.
5: Oh, very well, my dear. Mm. Uh, quiet, please. Mm. Quiet, everyone. Uh, uh, Mrs. Rushlight, the old, uh, mm. the elder Mrs. Rushlight, that is, has something to say to you.
7: Mr. Spade. Yes? The necklace, will you please hand it to me?
5: With pleasure. I'm tired of looking
7: at it. Oh, you're not done yet. Stay close by my side. <laughs> Dear friends, at this solemn moment, I want, first of all, to welcome this dear little girl into the Rushlight family. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and now, dear Lada, I will place around your neck the gem which was my heritage when I became a Rushlight and which is now yours. Thank you. Now, <laughs> oh, what's wrong? Lada,
6: uh, come back here.
5: Uh,
7: Lada!
6: I'll go
5: on to the carport and head her off. Oh,
6: you leave her alone. I'll take care of her.
5: Whose wife is she, anyhow? Lada, come back here. Lotta, bring it back!
4: I was almost ashamed to join the chase, but I had to because I'd been hired to guard the rushlight diamond, and for my money, the best way to do that was to help her get away. But somebody got to her before I did. A strip of wedding gown satin marked the spot. The body lay crumpled under a hedge. But it wasn't the bride's body. It was the groom. He'd been stabbed to death with a pair of garden shears, which made sense. But what didn't make sense was that the necklace she'd been wearing was still clutched in his hand. 21A Granite Court was teeming with motives and suspects, but the police were primarily interested in locating Lotta, the missing bride and widow of Ralph Rushlight. So was I. She looked like less work than the rest of you, because if she had killed him, it was self-defense, if she knew enough English. By 10 in the a.m., when I checked in at my office, she was still successfully eluding the police dragnet. That was because nobody, including me, had thought of looking in my office. Wow. Good morning. Thank you. Is that all the English you know?
8: Thank you. No. I want my necklace.
4: The police have it.
8: You go with me. I tell them who I am.
4: Okay, but first I have to know who you are. Where you came from, what your connection with Colonel Bixby is.
8: I am in Macassar, being born.
4: In Macassar?
8: Dutch colony. Uh-huh. My father there seven years ago dying is. When I, 13 years old, have arrived. I see. Colonel Bixby in San Francisco the financial representative from my father was. I am adopted to him, not for a father, but so he takes care of my monies, which coming of age am I a rich Dutch woman. Uh Uh-huh.
4: But legally, he's your foster father.
8: Yeah. Also legally, I'm the wife of Rushlight. I want my necklace.
4: You married him for the necklace? Yeah. Why did he marry you?
8: For one half of necklace when we sell. But all everything to take, he wishes.
4: You and Ralph were going to divvy the take from the Rushlight diamond, you thought. Yeah, yeah. And what was the colonel going to get?
8: Money's for Mrs. Rushlight.
4: Oh, no, wait, that doesn't make sense. Mrs. Rushlight stood to lose a small fortune by that marriage. Why should she pay the colonel to promote it?
8: You the detective are. Uh? You said that. Where my necklace are, uh, that I say.
4: Yeah, well, look, I'm not as sure as I was. uh, wait just a minute, I'll, uh, check on it. <clears throat>
5: Homicide, Lieutenant
4: Dundee. Uh, Spade, Dundee.
5: Oh, yeah, Sam?
4: What's new on the Rushlight caper?
5: Oh, uh, you know I can't talk about the case, Sam.
4: Oh, I got a line on that girl.
5: Oh? Where is she?
4: You know I can't talk about that, Dundee.
5: Oh, you can can't you? Well, let's see if this doesn't change your mind. The necklace we found on Rushlight's body was a phony, a paste copy.
4: huh. does that make her guiltier than she was before?
5: Well, now she's got a motive all
4: our previous theories into a cocked
8: hat. Now,
4: where's the girl? She's in my office, Lieutenant, dear. Come and get her. Thank
6: you. Oh, it's you, Sam. Back again?
4: Yeah, do you mind?
6: Well, that depends on who you came to see.
4: You, sweetheart. Oh. But uh, first, I'd like to talk to Mrs. Rushlight.
6: Well, she can't see anyone. She's in a state of nervous collapse over the, over Ralph's death.
4: Oh, that's too bad. You uh, seem to be holding up pretty well.
6: Well, I'm relieved. He's better off dead than married to that... Yeah.
4: Rushlight Diamond's still unlucky, you know.
6: What do you mean by that?
4: I was just trying it on for size.
6: Huh? Or does it fit?
4: Yeah, but uh, you and Mrs. Rushlight are about the same size. Her uh, nerves getting any better?
6: You're the doctor.
4: If you want to see her, go
6: ahead. She's
4: up there. Thank you. (laughs) Mrs. Rushlight.
7: Go away, I'm ill.
4: I'm sorry to break in on you like this, but I haven't got much time.
7: that girl. Mr. Spade, please leave me alone with my grief. Funny
4: thing. Yesterday, Nancy was carrying a torch for Ralph, and you were holding the torch to him. Today, it's different.
7: Oh, good, Evans. You you, you don't think I'm grief-stricken over Ralph.
4: Good. That's one less mystery.
7: N- Mr. Spade, what do you want?
4: Your nephew's killer.
7: Oh, does it matter?
4: It does to me. Somebody getting knocked off right under my nose is bad for private detectives everywhere.
7: Oh. <laughs> For a moment, I thought that. Say, wouldn't you rather make some more money?
4: I refuse to marry Lotta.
7: Oh, no, nothing like that. It's the necklace, Mr. Spade, the genuine. What is? I don't know. All I know is the other one isn't. Who told you that? Why, well, well, the p- police know. It's, it's in the papers, isn't it? Not yet. Well, how else would I learn?
4: The murderer is the only one who could have told you, unless you're the murderer.
7: I see. Very well, Mr. Spade. I'll tell you what I know. I'm not as wealthy as you might think. In in, in fact, I have for four years lived from pillar to post, from hand to mouth, ragtag and bobtail, struggling to make ends meet. Now,
4: what you mean is you're eking out a meager existence, keeping your head above water, one jump ahead of the sheriff, stalked by the grim specter of poverty. Is that right?
7: Oh, how well you put it. In fact, Mr. Spade, I'm something of a crook. I've borrowed large sums of money from Colonel Bixby, putting up as collateral something that was not mine to forfeit.
4: Uh-uh. Don't tell me. Let me guess. Uh, it was the rushlight diamond?
7: Well, you seem to know everything.
4: All but one thing. Why did you think you could palm off a paste copy on an operator like
7: Bixby. He sent you here. I I won't tell you another single thing. Well,
4: then I'll tell you a few things. The only way the rushlight diamond could be transferred legally into the hands of Colonel Bixby was by tricking Ralph into marriage with Lotta, since Ralph's wife automatically became the legal owner. With Ralph dead, Bixby would be in line to inherit the diamond from her. Inherit? California state law. Foster parent may inherit from a foster child in absence of any direct heir.
7: Well, why, then he planned, he... He'd kill her, too. Mr. Spade, we must stop him. She's
4: safe for the time being. I had her thrown into the pokey. They can hold her 48 hours for questioning, but they can hold you longer. They can even hold you as an accessory before the fact.
7: Why? Why, I I didn't know he was going to kill anyone.
4: Lotta was just going to hand over a million-buck diamond to Bixby out of the kindness of her heart?
7: Oh, no. Lotta wanted to become an American citizen. Marriage is the quickest way. For her, Ralph was the only way.
4: Okay, I'll buy that. Now, tell me honestly, Mrs. Rushlight. What happened to the genuine stone?
7: I honestly didn't know. I wasn't sure. But now there can be only one answer.
4: Nancy with the laughing face?
7: She went with me when I went to the bank vault to get the Rushlight diamond to present to Lotta after the ceremony. Uh-huh. She looked after <clears throat> all my jewels, including the paste copy that I habitually wore. I
4: dream...
5: I'm Homicide, Lieutenant Dundee.
4: Uh, Spade again, Dundee. I, uh... I think I got the rushlight caper all wrapped up. I'm heading for your office now, so wait for me. And whatever you do, don't let that lot of dame out of your sight. Thank you. Goodbye. Wait
5: a minute, Sam. Wait a minute. Yeah? The Lotta dame. She's already gone. Escaped? Bailed out. Custody of her foster father. Wait a minute. I got the name
4: here, sir. Bixby. He's a colonel, and no wonder you're only a lieutenant. Uh,
7: M- Mr. Spade, can't you stay fatigued? Not
4: thirsty. Nancy? Nancy, where are
7: you? Here I am, Sam. I I was waiting for you. You got the keys
4: to that car out in front?
7: Why,
6: yes. Do you want to borrow it?
4: Yes, with you in it.
6: Why, Sam, where do I put my face on?
4: Let it go. It's as good as lost anyway. (laughs) Come on.
6: What is this place? You taking me? Never
4: mind. Just hang on. I'll fly you up to the second floor.
6: <laughs> Sam, that was a shot that sounded like Lotto.
4: You stay here. Don't come in until I call you. Look pain. What are you doing? Get back do? in there. No, Drop it. No. Drop it or I'll crack your elbow. No. Oh. That's better. Now sit down. I want to look this over. Mm. Looks real cute. Uh-huh. Powder burns, gun beside the chair, and what's this? Well, 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 a note in Dutch. It's a suicide note. She killed herself. I can almost believe that. You've handled this very well, considering the bad breaks you've had. Only one thing wrong.
5: Do I send a bargain?
4: I don't have to bargain. I've got the diamond. All you've got is two murders wrapping on your thick noggin. Then don't be absurd. I know who has the real necklace. Then you better talk to her directly. You can come in now.
8: Sam, was Oh!
6: There... <gasps> Oh, that poor, that homely little dame. What did she ever Stop, do? you're
4: breaking my heart. She committed suicide.
6: You know better than that.
4: She committed suicide, if the colonel's price is right.
5: Oh, oh I see. I'll put it to you directly. It's not easy to fence. It'll have to be cut. That'll decrease the value considerably. Say, uh, $10,000, no questions asked.
4: Pardon me, that suicide uh, shot. It's ringing in my ears. I
5: can't hear you. Uh, $20,000. dollars all right, a hundred thousand. Sam, don't be a fool, take it. I'll
4: give you a real break, Colonel. That's the cops coming after you. No,
5: anything, Spade. What do you want me to do? I want
4: you to try and get out of here. Right, what are you going to do? There's the door. Go ahead. All right, I thank you, Colonel. All right,
2: men, remember, he's desperate. Big speed.
5: We're giving you a chance.
4: Come down or we're coming up after you. Come on, Uh, come on, get up, Colonel. Here he comes, Kevin. It may be a trick. Watch it, Dundee. Here he comes. And that, Mrs. Rushlight, is the crop. The man that went down fighting, Colonel Bixby, didn't need much persuading once they got him under the lights down at headquarters. He confessed to everything, and the murders weren't the worst of it, the way I figure. The worst of it was the cruel way he victimized the poor little ugly duckling, Lotta Van Eyck. It's tough enough to be whipped before you start. Period, and a report.
3: My goodness, that was Mui Triste. I mean, I'm beginning to see why Effie gets so repressed sometimes.
4: Effie? Depressed? That little doll told you that?
3: Only between she and I and the lamppost. She's so sensitive, you know. Not like I, of course. I invariably cry at weddings.
4: You don't say, Bernadine. Uh, You attend uh, weddings often? hmm?
3: With high frequency, Mr. Spade.
4: You mean frequently?
3: No, no. The last time it was FM. You know, frequency moderation?
4: Oh, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Moderation and all things, I always say. You mean you attend radio weddings?
3: Oh, yeah. I've been married six times. My next date is television.
4: You've been married six times?
3: Well, to each his own, Mr. Spade.
4: You mean six men have... Oh,
3: no. No, I only marry my husband. Repetition is the spice of variety, I always say. Is that legal? If it's not after six weddings, what isn't?
4: <laughs> to uh, each his own, as you say.
3: Well, we don't presume to make a career out of it. As soon as we get the mangler and the deep freeze, we're gone on our honeymoon.
4: Well, congratulations, and uh, tight this up when you have the time. Mrs. Bernadine uh, Bernadine Hemp. <laughs>
3: I'm sorry it took so long, but I kept relapsing into Spanish. Yes, I know. And Effie's typewriter doesn't have any upside-down question marks. Mm -hmm.
4: (laughs) Upside-down? Take a memo. Call typewriter man.
3: I already have. Oh, um, I almost forgot. You received a telegramic commutation.
4: A telegramic what?
3: A wire.
4: Oh, a wire. Well, open it and read it in English, por favor. Uh,
3: it says, uh... Dear Sam. Figures. In the haste of my departure, I neglected to warn you about Ber... Well, when I do that one another favor, she'll have silver threads. Who? That ball of fire whom I'm taking the place of in order to be double-crossed of by...
4: Effie? Is she uh, still in far-off canab?
3: And good rubbish, if you'll pardon the expression. Oh,
4: Bernadine, let me see that. Hmm. I, uh... <clears throat> I neglected to warn you about Bernadine. I'm sending the Tales airmail special, but in the meantime, whatever you do, don't go to any radio broadcasts with her, and if she comes to work in a wedding gown, take the day off. Love, Effie.
3: And I had two tickets for honeymoon payoff, and now she went and spoiled everything. Oh, ah,
4: now there, Bernadine, you just have to marry your husband again, that's all. I wouldn't have had the time anyway.
3: I know. It's just the principle.
4: Good night, Mr. Spade. Good night. Uh, Buenas noches hasta la vista. Effie, why did you ever leave me?
2: The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dowd with musical direction by Ludd Gluskin. Gil Dowd directed tonight's broadcast in William Spears' absence. Join us again next Sunday for another adventure with Sam Spade brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. This is Dick Joy reminding you to Get wild root cream oil, Charlie It keeps your hair in trim You see it's non-alcoholic, Charlie It's made with soothing lanolin. You better get wild root cream oil, Charlie Start using it today You'll find that you will have a tough time Charlie Keeping all the gals away Hiya, Baldy. Get wild root
0: right
2: away this is cbs the columbia broadcasting system
1: i was not crazy about wild root hair oil Uh, i remember that it was white and uh, it had a lot of uh, alcohol, I believe, in it. And it, it, it tended to dry out your hair. There there was some oil in it, but it tended to dry out your hair. That's what I recall. Brill cream, on the other hand, was was greasier. Vaseline hair tonic was mostly clear. And anyway, they were all to slick down your hair. Because that was the trend back there, right? To slick down your hair. All right, that was Sam Spade, The Adventures of, and that was the Rushlight Diamond Caper, as heard on CBS back on July the 4th, 1948. Good story. I don't know why they never gave credit to the other cast members, only Howard Duff, who was an interesting guy. He was married to Ida Lupino, but we'll talk about Howard Duff on another occasion. What I wanted to talk about on this one was something I found very interesting. When, when, uh, Mrs. Rushlight was talking about her first husband. I mean, her husband. I guess she only had one husband. But he had a first wife. And she said the wife died on the SS General Slocum in the East River. And I thought, are they making that up? Uh, It was obviously some kind of a boating accident. And she said that she was wearing the diamond, but it ended up it was just a paste. In other words, it was a phony replica of the diamond, which, (laughs) although you don't want to wear a diamond, obviously, of that value on a boat ride. Well, I got uh, very interested in that, and so I looked it up. And here's, here's the facts of the matter. If you have never heard of this, you will find this fascinating, I hope. The General Slocum was a passenger ship taking people on excursions around New York City. On Wednesday, June fifteenth, nineteen 1904, the ship had been chartered for $350 by St. Mark's Evangelical Lutheran Church in the Little German district of Manhattan. This was an annual rite for the group, which had made the trip 17 consecutive years, a period when German settlers moved out of Little Germany for the Upper East and West sides. Over 1,400 passengers, mostly women and children, boarded General Slocum which was to sail up the East River and then across the Long Island Sound to Locust Grove, a picnic site in Eaton's Neck, Long Island. The ship got underway at 9.30 a.m. As it was passing East 90th Street, a fire started in the lamp room in the forward section, possibly caused by a discarded cigarette or match. It was fueled by straw and oily rags and lamp oil strewn around the room. The first notice of a fire was at 10 a.m. Eyewitnesses claim the initial blaze began in various locations, including a paint locker filled with flammable liquids and a cabin filled with gasoline. Captain Van Shake was not notified until 10 minutes after the fire was discovered. A 12-year-old boy had tried to warn him earlier, but he was not believed. Although the captain was ultimately responsible for the safety of the passengers, The owners had made no effort to maintain or replace the ship's safety equipment. The fire hoses had been allowed to rot, and they fell apart when the crew tried to put out the fire. The crew had never practiced a fire drill, and the lifeboats were tied up and inaccessible. Some even claimed that they were wired and painted in place. Survivors reported that the life preservers were useless and fell apart in their hands. Desperate mothers placed life jackets on their children and tossed them into the water, only to watch in horror as their children sank instead of floating. Most of those on board were women and children who, like most Americans of the time, could not swim. Victims found that their heavy wool clothing absorbed water and weighed them down in the river. It has been suggested that the manager of the life preserver manufacturer, placed iron bars inside the cork preservers in order to meet minimum weight requirements at the time. Many of the life preservers had been filled with cheap granulated cork and brought up to proper weight by the inclusion of the iron weights. Canvas covers that uh, were on the life preservers had rotted with age. They had split and scattered the the, uh, powdered cork. Managers of the company were indicted but not convicted. The life preservers had been manufactured in 1891 and had hung above the deck unprotected from the elements for 13 years. Captain Van Shake decided to continue his course on on the river rather than run the ship aground or stop at a nearby landing. By going into headwinds and failing to immediately ground the ship, he fanned the fire. Van Shake later argued that he was trying to avoid having the fire spread to the riverside buildings and oil tanks. Flammable paint also helped the fire spread out of control. Some passengers jumped into the river to escape the fire, but the heavy women's clothing of the day made swimming almost impossible and dragged them underwater to drown. Many died when the floors of the overloaded boat collapsed. Others were battered by the still-turning paddles as they tried to escape into the water or over the sides. This was a side paddle wheeler. The captain eventually lost sight in one eye because of the fire. Reports indicate that the captain deserted the General Slocum as soon as it settled, jumping into a nearby tug along with several of the crew members. He was hospitalized at Lebanon Hospital. Many acts of heroism were committed by the passengers, by witnesses and emergency personnel. Staff and patients from the hospital on the North Brother Island participated in the rescue efforts, forming human chains and pulling victims from the water. By the time the General Slocum sank in shallow water at North Brother Island, just off the shore of the Bronx, an estimated 955 people had either burned to death or drowned. There were 408 survivors, many injured. Had you ever heard of that, Chester? Had you ever heard of that? I lived in New York City for four years. Used to watch the Circle Line go around all the time because where I lived in Brooklyn Heights, you had a beautiful view of of lower Manhattan. And you could watch the the boats go around, but I had never heard of the General Slope. Of course, a little before my time, 1904. So we have a little bit of history that was brought up for us here tonight in this episode of The Adventures of Sam Spade. If you'd like to hear more of Sam Spade, send me an email, bob at bestoldtimeradio.com. And uh, we we'll, we have a lot of episodes in our, in our files. Obviously, this is not a realistic show. <laughs> it's just a lot of tongue-in-cheek, much like Philip Marlowe. I think Philip Marlowe might even be, well, I don't know. I guess they run neck and neck. Neck and neck. Uh, more Sam Spade in the weeks ahead. And just like that, we're out of time. Actually, we have lots of time. We're out of show. It's what we're out of. I uh, hope you enjoyed our selection today. You will uh, certainly want to come back tomorrow because tomorrow we treat you to a Western, an old-time radio Western. Too bad there weren't more Westerns done. There, there were a lot of juvenile Westerns, but as far as adult Westerns, you know, I mean, you can listen to Roy Rogers and Gene Autry and all of that, but that isn't what we try to do here. So we've got Gunsmoke and we've got Six Shooter. And we, well, I mean, there are literally just a handful of shows uh, that to choose from. But we'll choose a good one for you tomorrow. I promise you that. All right, you all take care until we get back here tomorrow. I'm, we're going to go out tonight with uh, those of you that have been listening to me for any time at all know I am just a huge Allison Krauss fan. So I'm, we're running out of 1948 songs to play because this episode of Sam Spade came from 1948. So we're, I just went into my files and thought, what would I like to listen to? I love songs that tell stories. This first song by Allison Krause is a, a classic example of that. So listen to the, listen to the lyrics, and then we're going to follow that up with uh, a really beautiful, beautiful tune. This is Bob Bro. I am so glad you stopped by today, and I'm so glad you met me. See you tomorrow.
0: i oh. What the dawn